Welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. We are a member of the Edify Podcast Network. There's a lot of great Christian content creators on the network, so download the Edify app today and check them out. Last week's episode with Frank Viola was great. He talked about the gospel of the kingdom. Hopefully you check that out to know what that is and why we need to be focused on the gospel of the kingdom and not the other two gospels he talked about. For some reason, my devotional on Amazon is really cheap right now, Eyes on Jesus. So if you're looking for a 90-day devotional to help you grow in discernment and keep your eyes on Jesus, check it out on Amazon. Just search for Eyes on Jesus by Tim Ferrara. And finally, the best way to be connected with me is on discerning-dad.com. You can get links to all my social medias, my past blogs, my books, this podcast, anything you want that I'm doing is on there. So make sure you check it out regularly. I'm excited for my conversation today with Steve Machia. He has a podcast called The Discerning Leader, so I had to invite him on because you know I love discernment, and he graciously agreed. Here's that conversation right now. Welcome to the podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the show. I have with me Steve Machia. He is an author of 16 books and is the founder and president of Leadership Transformations Incorporated. He is also the director of the Pierce Center for Discipleship Building at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. His newest book, The Discerning Life, is out now. He and his wife, Ruth, live in beautiful Lexington, Massachusetts, and enjoy spending time with their two grown children and three grandchildren. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great, Tim. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. To join you. Yeah. yeah, it's so good to connect. And uh, we were just talking before we got on that you don't see a ton of people talking about discernment. So it was great to connect when I found your podcast, The Discerning Leader. Uh, it was cool to see someone else talking about discernment. And uh, when I started Discerning Dad uh, three years ago now, you know, you didn't see a lot of people really using that term besides maybe Catholic priests. And it was kind of in new age circles too. And so I've, I've loved your focus on how we need discernment, both in leadership and our everyday life. And I'm excited to talk about your new book. And so before we go down that road, just uh, allow our audience to get to know you a little more than what your bio stated. Well, thank you. The most important part of my bio is what you've already shared, and that is that I'm a husband and a father and a grandfather, and that is my greatest joy. We have twin grandsons that were just born in November. So they've added a lot of delight into our family experience. And our three-year-old granddaughter is leading the way. So she's already <laughs> stolen my heart. And she's got me wrapped around her finger. So it's been, it's been great to watch our family grow over the years. My ministry background is that I grew up here in New England, but I went to college in the Midwest in Iowa. That's where I met my wife. She's an Iowa farm girl and pulled her out of the Midwest and we came back to seminary here to Gordon-Conwell. During the same time, I was at Grace Chapel in Lexington, Mass. Uh, worked there for 11 years on the pastoral team in a handful of pastoral positions. I was their children's pastor. Their, I was a junior high pastor. I headed the Christian education department, and then I was the senior associate before I left. Mm. <clears throat> and then I went to a group called uh, the Evangelistic Association of New England, uh, that during my tenure there, we changed the name to Vision New England. 
And that's a ministry that serves about 80 different denominations and about 6,000 congregations from a six-state region known as New England. We were also mentioning that, Tim, that's up here in the Northwest, Northeast, like the North Pacific Northwest. It's a very <clears throat> unchurched part of our world. Yeah. So when you find uh, genuine believers, they kind of hold hands and stick together, and that's yeah. what we were doing. So for 14 years, I led that organization, and then... Almost 19 years ago, uh, started this new ministry called Leadership Transformations. Mm. And it came from really my experience in spiritual direction and learning about discernment from um, an Episcopal monk who has been my, my spiritual director for all these years. Mm. And so discernment is kind of at the heart of my own story. Yeah. as well as in the center of our ministry. We talk about three big words at LTI, um, <clears throat> formation, discernment, and renewal. Mm. We talk about spiritual formation is kind of the core of the care and nurture of our souls. Spiritual discernment is noticing God and responding to his initiatives in our behalf. Mm. And renewal is the is the experience that we have. We're, we're never the same again. Once we have been formed and living in a life of discernment, uh, we actually do experience significant spiritual renewal. And so we see that over and over and over again in all of our ministry areas. Um, we now have a team of about 44 people wow. scattered across the country that are part of LTI. You can find us at leadershiptransformations.org. That's our website, and that tells you all the all the wonderful details of the various parts and pieces of our ministry. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. I didn't even realize uh, how far reaching it was. Uh, and the focus is really awesome. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're talking about discernment when they actually are. I mean, if you're talking about decision-making or leading, a, you know, living a spiritual life, I mean, you're talking about discernment and spiritual formation, like you're talking about, maybe just not using that word. And so that's why for me, I wanted it to be very practical when I talk about discernment, even though it's a big word, just how do you make everyday decisions that honor God, that lead you down a path of blessing in your life and not a a, a place where you have to pay for those decisions, you know, with, with earthly consequences, you know, and a lot of Christians, I feel, you know, get so hung up on the salvation issue, which is the biggest decision you can ever make. But then after that, after that decision, then your, your life is filled with thousands and thousands of decisions, even daily. How do you make those decisions with a clarity of mind and in, in guidance from the Holy Spirit that leads you down that path that God wants for you? And I think that's the big question where we try to figure it out by ourselves. We try to figure out from our history, from what we know instead of what God knows and the word of God that he's given us, that we can find ourselves in a place where are in a tra trajectory we didn't intend, even though we gave our life to Christ. And, and so what have you found as far as the importance of just daily decision-making that honors God and we don't lean on our own understanding. Well, Tim, I, the book that I wrote, The Discerning Life, um, begins with basically a statement that so often discernment is pigeonholed into decision-making. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say preceding every decision, as you say, the small and the large decisions that happen on a daily basis— they come from some place within us, right? Um, some sense of motivation or a sense of call. And 
whether we're seeing that as a call from God and an initiative of God toward us, or if we're seeing that as sort of a decision-making mantra for us, you know, we're going to make the right decisions simply because we are who we are. So I'm basically saying that it begins with discerning God Mm. before you discern decisions related to God. Yeah. So the whole the whole thesis of my book is practicing a preference for God. Mm. That's really my phrase. And that comes from one of my heroes, one of my spiritual mentors, Reuben Job, who in synthesizing spiritual discernment came up with that phrase, and I love it. Mm. Uh, it's practicing a preference for God, and I use it throughout this book. And at the end of every chapter, there's little spiritual exercises to consider that help you practice that preference for God. Mm. So in decision-making throughout our day, hopefully we're beginning with noticing God, attending to God, pointing God out, relishing the joy of being in relationship with God, Mm. out of which we then live our life with God. So this with Godness that happens throughout the day is something that I think needs to be promoted more than the decision-making piece because the decisions are the outcome. Sure. And you talk about things like what feeds good decision-making or what roadblocks, I think was one of the words you, you, you're you using. Yeah. Um, mostly those roadblocks are, are us not mm-hmm. noticing God and instead – taking matters into our own hands and making decisions in our own strength and our own willpower and our own ability to, you know, make a good choice. And yeah. in this world, you know, this world is pushing us to make fast choices, you know, make, mm. you know, let's be decisive. Let's go, let's go, you know, right. come on, come on. Come on. And so we, we've got a bunch of anxious people around us, mostly coming from the business world or the, political world or even the educational world, you know, we, we've got to make big decisions and make them fast and yeah. be decisive. And that's what we're, that's what gets applauded and that's what gets celebrated. But in spiritual discernment, we really need to slow the pace down and really practice more of a, huh, isn't that interesting? I want to notice. I want to mm-hmm. be walking and living at a pace where I can actually see God rather than always being on the 70-mile-an-hour bullet train where we're seeing things outside the window, but we're never savoring an ounce of it or a morsel of it. Yeah, that's really good. You know, let's slow down and let's notice God. Yeah. If you take the urgency out of decision-making or just life in general, it does help a lot. And, you know, I remember a time when there were no cell phones, where there was no social media, you know, and a lot of younger generation today doesn't have that concept of what a world would be like without the technology constantly at your fingertips, constantly moving you to make a decision or to be at a different place or to do this and that. And I think uh, for us too, you know, when we talk about urgency, uh, a lot of sin happens when there's urgency of decision-making, you know, think about anger, you know, in the moment, Uh, if you stopped and prayed before you lashed out in anger, you know, you would eliminate that sin. Same thing with like lust or, you know, greed, uh, all these things that we think of sins are, are oftentimes out of a place of either desperation or urgency. 
And so I like that approach of just quieting down, stopping, you know, I call it this uh, discernment spirit infused decision-making because the Holy Spirit's with us in the moment where we just say a quick prayer saying, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. Come in and help me. Give me peace. You know, if we actually say that, even if it's a 10 second prayer, that can go a long way in, in calming our spirit down to have to respond to, uh, you know, our kids yelling or our spouse or that, that craziness at work you're talking about. Uh, and so that's also like you mentioned that the focus of this season is on roadblocks, because even if we make the right decision, we oftentimes have to see that decision through, uh, you know, through through people coming at us, you know, through uh, roadblocks that hit us. And so I, I've seen that in my life too, just because I make a right decision, I have to see it through to see why God was leading me down that path to begin with, not to make, say that it'll be easy, not to say that, you know, there won't be problems, but, you know, we have to say that I'm not going to just pick the right decision because it's easy. I'm going to pick it because there will be, it will lead me down a path uh, of blessing in my life. So what have you seen in your life Steve, as far as making decision or maybe one specific decision where, you know, things didn't go as planned or at least to your plans, but you, you stuck through it and you saw the benefit of doing that. Yeah. That's a hard question because there's so many, <laughs> so many options from which to choose. But yeah. um, I think the, the, the biggest um, roadblocks, well, first of all, the roadblocks are, are us. We are, we are the biggest roadblock to, wise spiritual discernment. I mean, that that just is across the board. Mm -hmm. But in terms of specific decisions, I think um, it's probably related to people choices, people that have been a part of my uh, life, my ministry, uh, people that you thought were uh, on the same page, but actually come to find out they were looking for power, mm -hmm. not for discernment. So I think the most painful decisions that went sour that I stuck with are related to people. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people are there and they're, they're both with you and for you. And there are times when they're just with you and there's a big difference between the two. So I think for me, um, in my 40 ish years of ministry, the, the, the most difficult decisions have been always circling around, probably personnel or mm. related kinds of people decisions. Yeah. So I think with personnel decisions, you know, or just with people in general, whether it's a spouse or a child or someone at work, you know, it's one of those things where you have a lot of uh, different things at play. You have the, the foundation of who that person is, of who, what they know of Christ and their walk with Christ, plus the actual decision itself, which oftentimes isn't the root of the problem, but there can be a lot of things with that where we need to go before God and, and uh, I think lead with love uh, and not just being right, you know, that my, my way is the best or that this decision is the only way. Uh, and that's a lot of with leadership in general. And your podcast, The Discerning Leader, goes over a lot of that. Uh, what have you seen as far as like just leadership itself? Any insight that you've had over the years as far as maybe a couple strategies that we can employ, whether you're leading, you know, your family or work or thousands of people that, you know, we as Christians, we can kind of focus on? It's an interesting question because um, there's so many angles we could cover from a leadership perspective. But I've been doing a lot of thinking recently about the word power. Mm. And in a discerning life, a discerning leader cares more about empowering others 
than powering over others. Mm, that's good. And I think that a, a big part of the issues that we have today in leadership is that our role models, for good or for ill, are those who are powering over. Mm. Um, I mean, I was just at the Registry of Motor Vehicles last week, this this quirky place, at least in our state. It's very quirky. Yeah. And I'm there. I had made an appointment. So I was in the 1110 group. And there was this woman who was sitting inside the the main entrance. And she was literally blockaded. It was like a glassed thing around her. And she was accepting people coming in at the right time and then sending them down different lines to go to get their car situation worked out. But she was so agitated with how people just were <laughs> outside the glassed area, not not noticing exactly when she was like clicking her fingers to come in. Yeah. So she came out there and lectured everybody in the in the hallway. And I, I just couldn't help but smile. It's just like, wow, she has a little power right now. Mm-hmm. And it's gone to her head. Yeah. And she's become a little bit obnoxious to the rest of us that are like standing in that in that row. And I thought, how often do we do that? We we exert our power and we got a little bit of power, so we're gonna go and exert it and kind of press our our will into the situation. Yeah. Rather than beginning with any kind of sense of prayer or reflection mm. or maybe noticing the people around us or how are people feeling? Are they hurting? Are they doing well? Are they not doing well? And so it's it's there's a big difference between the two, powering over or empowering. So that's just one illustration that kind of is relevant to me today because I work with a lot of churches and organizations where I'm trying to teach discernment to those teams, but I've got a lot of powerful people sitting in those circles. They're like, you know, what do you what do you know? <laughs> is what they're saying to thinking to, to me. Yeah. And I'm like, I really just want you to learn how to practice a preference for God together individually. And then when you're in, get entering into decisions, don't power over each other, you know, with your your wit or your learned wisdom from the world that you come from. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We better double the listening and half the speaking yeah. so that we can really be present with each other and really want to listen to each other. We do that very well, Tim. We just don't. Yeah, I think back in my life, you know, I uh, right out of college in my 20s, I was leading a retail store, $40 million store. And I came in with, you know, my personality of results oriented. And I can think of a lot of times where I was results over relationship. And actually, that was praised in the company, you know, like they don't care how many relationships you built that day. They care if you got the job done and if you got the 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 freight pushed and and the, the customers are happy and, and you know it's it's a tough balance because on one side you want to do your job well but looking back I can see a lot of ways where I could have built relationships over time instead of just hey how's it going let's get to work you know and then say how's the job going are you can you work a little faster you know and I was never like rude or overbearing in my mind but at the same time I think that if you're just so focused on the job at hand, you can lose sight of the relationships of people around you, even in churches, even in churches that are doing ministry for God. You know, you get so focused on the programs and the processes and you lose sight of the people or the whole reason you're in ministry to begin with. 
And I don't think anyone's really exempt from that. And I think personality has a lot to do with how we lead. And that's our God-given personality, but it's also not an excuse. You know, you look at like the, the, any test you want to look at the Enneagram or all that stuff, they tell you your pros and your cons, your weaknesses and your strengths. Um, How do you factor in personality when you talk about leadership? What are some things that, you know, instead of just saying, well, that's just how I'm wired. How can we overcome that and see our weaknesses as actually opportunities for for growth? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the books I wrote is called Broken and Whole, and it's an university book, and it's a leadership book because it talks about the importance of looking at and embracing your own brokenness mm. because it's in that place of brokenness that God seeks to do the, the deepest redemptive work in and through you. So unless we're willing to see our personalities as broken mm. uh, not just not just the the strength side but the weak side the the places where i i need god uh, frankly you know god never promised that this life would be filled with happy clappy christianity it's he promised us that there would be sorrow and suffering and we don't like to embrace that we 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 live in 21st century North America. We believe that the upward trajectory is the way of success. Yeah. And frankly, I'd like to throw away the word success because I don't think it belongs in our vocabulary as Christians. Mm. And there's nothing in the Bible that talks about success. Everything in the Bible is about faithfulness. Right. Um, it's not about success, but we bring our earthly human business metrics into the church. Right. And then we end up treating each other as if we're commodities rather than persons. Mm. So I do think we need to pay close attention to the way in which God made us and our own personalities, particularly our propensities uh, to hurt and to harm and to, you know, to not be positively uh, contributing to the life of the community. We've got to pay attention to those. Yeah. Because those are the places that need to be surrendered to God so that they can be redeemed for his glory mm. in the context of our communities. Wow, that's really if good. If you don't have a discerning leader or, or, or a discerning life, that's why my podcast is called the Discerning Leader Podcast because I really want to focus on leaders. But those leaders need to live a discerning life if they're going to be effective discerning leaders. Yeah, and it, and it does mean attentiveness to the to the nth degree. How are we going to heighten our attentiveness quotient so that we're more attentive to God, more attentive to each other, mm. and frankly, more attentive to ourselves? You know who? Yeah, and yeah, I don't think we pay close enough attention to that, Tim. Yeah, that's really good. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Well, let's talk more about your book, The Discerning Life, which is out now. 
you know, uh, for someone listening, you know, that this all sounds great, but you know, they're in, they're in the thick of it. They have three kids under five years old. You know, they go to work for 10 hours a day. They come home, they barely have time to see their wife. Like talk to that person, that person that's just in a season of craziness. How does that person have a discerning life? I think that just that person, that particular person needs to figure out a way to bring some semblance of rest into their existence. Mm. Because one of my biggest concerns today, and I work with a lot of 20s and 30s through my seminary work and the Young Leaders Network that I'm a part of, it's just um, they're so busy, they're so addicted to the things of this world, like our particularly technology and particularly social media. I mean, that those two things in and of themselves are killing the soul. They just are. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have, and I use them as well. We have to be very careful that we're not, we're not letting our addictions take over our life. Yeah. So one of the things is just to be able to say, okay, friend, how can I help you just slow down enough to find rest? What does rest look like? What does physical rest look like? What does vocational rest look like? What does emo- relational rest look like? What does, what does rest look like? Because if you're not slowing down to truly find rest for your soul, then there's nothing I can do for you. There really isn't. Because I can talk, I can talk to you until I'm blue in the face about a discerning life. But if you're not willing to just sort of say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa I've got to figure, I got to figure out, there's got to be ten minutes in my day. It's got to be ten minutes in my day <laughs> that I that I throw away to any other purpose right. than to just sit quietly." Close my eyes, put my feet up, find a way to find rest. I, I really feel that the enemy is having a field day today because none none of us or very few of us know what the heck rest looks like. It yeah. just we don't we don't do it. And so when I talk in my book about silence and solitude and stillness, it's like, hello, what where is that? Mm-hmm. But Tim, that is the foundation of our walk with God is slowing down long enough to notice God. Yeah. In his word, in our prayer closets, in the beauty of creation, um with the people that we're with to just notice God rather than so me 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 me. Mm. Because the two big words of our day, you know, are distraction and narcissism. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's because we are distracted by ourselves. <laughs> so it's combining the two. We yeah. are so narcissistic. That is our number one distraction. How can how can I get known? How can I get seen? Look That's at right. me, look at yeah. me, look at me. And I got to figure out a way. If that wasn't good enough, somebody else did outsmarted me or got better. I mean, that's why high school girls are suffering so much because they're on this social media and they're comparing themselves constantly yeah. with each other. And then they're depressed and then they're, they've got food addictions and, and they're even suffering from hurting themselves, even taking their own life. These are sad stories for our culture, for our generation. And I think it goes right back to a place of restfulness. Mm. Yeah, I really do. I mean, that's the root. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, comparison in general kills our contentment, especially our identity in Christ of who he's made us to be instead of who we want to be and who we see on the screen and I mean, it goes back to to Hollywood and now on social media with influencers, you know, you see, you see what they want you to see. You don't see 
the addiction right. they have. You don't see the broken relationships. You don't see the fact they're crying on their bed at night because they, right. they have everything they thought they wanted, but they're not fulfilled. You don't see that. And so we, we paint these people as idols, really. That's who they are. They're idols in our life that we want to be like instead of wanting to be like Christ. And so uh, I think it goes back to technology again. You know, I, I tweeted this the other day. Technology is a as, a, as a, a good servant, but a terrible master. You know, if, if technology is ruling your life and if you think you don't have time, I would encourage everyone to really analyze your time, right? We, we make time for what's important to us. And so if you say, I don't have 10 minutes, I don't have 30 minutes to read the Bible. Did you watch Netflix, right? Let's just get real. Did you, how much time did you spend on social media? There's apps to tell you this stuff on your phone. There's apps to actually tell you that I think the average is six to eight hours a day that people spend on their phone. And that is crazy to me. And I'm guilty of it too, in, in some degree, because well, I use it for work, or I, I have to do social media for the church, or I have to do all this stuff. But how much time did I actually spend in the word of God? And that's not to condemn anyone, but I think to introspectively look at each one of you, uh, us, we need to look at ourselves. We are only accountable to to God, right? No one's going to follow up on you after this and say, well, let's see your schedule. But at the same time, if you don't do those things, if you don't have a discerning life, if you don't have discernment with your time, you will be put down a path where you wonder where your peace is at, where your joy is at, where your relationship with Christ is at if you thought it was going to grow. And that's a, the good the good way to look at how you've progressed is look a year ago, look five years ago. And this is why I stress journaling too, because you can actually see where you were, what you prayed for, how God was moving in your life. And then you can compare that. Am I further along or has something happened this year that was a roadblock in my life? I have to push past. And all those things are important is, is instead of just letting life happen to you, you know, if we just kind of like let the, the chips fall where they may, and then 10 years down the road, I don't know what happened. It, I just blinked and it went by and life is short. The time we're here on this earth is short. We have a mission while we're here where God has placed you, even if it's to be a stay-at-home mom or to be a, a, someone who works at, at fast food, do it as unto the Lord in the season you're at and have discernment with each minute you're spending uh, and doing things as unto God. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's an if, Tim. I think it is a reality. I think we all are suffering under this same yeah, lordship issue. You know, mm -hmm. it's as you say, it's you know, who what who's in charge? And we've got to make sure that our social media, our technology in general, is our servant, not our master. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't agree more. And but that's just one element. It's it's like how are we how are we taking care of um the person God made us to be, the temple of the Holy Spirit that we are? How are we really coming alongside each other in a life-giving way? Mm -hmm. And how are we really doing ministry today? Is it programmatic or is it relational? Right. Are we are we pushing for numbers or are we pushing for or are we urging and encouraging others, each other to go towards transformation? It's mm. it, it, it's really it comes back to the leadership table always, because our expectations are spelled out at that leadership table. Yeah. And if it's all about programs and numbers, then people are eventually going to be disregarded. Or the ones that can, you know, the survival of the fittest, the one the one who can make it and and get to a place of, you know, numerical growth, constantly numerical growth. They're the ones that you're patting on the back. 
Right. So that's just not fair. It's, it's simply not, it's not fair. And we've got to be careful that we don't drive each other into workaholism in the midst of our other addictions that we have. Yeah. So we're, it's a, it's a troubled time. Yeah, think it's of what very gets, troubled time. Yeah, think of what gets celebrated now. You know, like if you get your results, if you get the more people in church, right? Those things are celebrated even in your own life. Like if you're a leader or in business, like I talked about earlier, those things get celebrated. Not, you know, how much time did you spend with God today, or how, did you disciple one person and take them out to breakfast? And, and and so I think when we look to, again, humans to give us that validation, we're missing the point. You know. What is God calling you to do? What is the Bible? How does that lay it out for us, the, the journey that we're on? And apart from results, and results are, are great, but at the same time, were you obedient to what God was calling you to do? That's more important than any results, because if you were obedient, and if you just like witnessing, right? If you, if you shared the message, it doesn't matter if the person gave their life to Christ on the spot. What matters is that you were faithful to share that with them, and then the Holy Spirit can do the work. And so I think we have to be more obedience-driven than results-driven, and the results are up to God if we're following him, if we're listening. Uh, just look at Saul. You know, Saul thought he was doing the right thing, and then uh, Samuel said obedience is more important than sacrifice. And so I, I love that. I don't have time to go into that story, but it's such a good story because you know we think we're doing the right things a lot of times, but then actually, are we actually obeying God and his voice? Uh, and, and just to wrap up, you know, you, you talked briefly about the 40-day prayer guide that's in the book based on the work of Reuben Job. Talk more about uh, who he is, uh, was. I don't know much about him personally and, then, and how that prayer guide um, can help people. Yeah, in the back of the book, um, Zondervan said, yes, let's do this because I got permission uh, from um, Reuben's widow and Upper Room Publications to use it. I love the material. Mm. And I've used it all the years that I've been at LTI with our own team as well as with other teams. The reason why I placed it in the back of the book is because I think that's a place to savor the biblical text and writings from others on the subject of spiritual discernment. Some of my favorite, most favorite quotes are back there. Hmm. Just to simmer in the Word of God and in the richness of readings that are historical, come from way back as well as modern, um, to help you just sort of blend into your daily routines the attitude and the lifestyle of discernment. Mm. Reuben Job was a Methodist bishop, a very simple man, grew up in North Dakota, uh, educated in Iowa, just this godly, graced man. Uh, he, he he has compiled some of the best guides to prayer that I've ever seen. In fact, I've been using them since the mid-'80s. Mm. And every year we introduce a new one to our seminary students, our board, our ministry team. And they're the guides to prayer. It's a guide to prayer for ministers and other servants, a guide to prayer for all God's people, a guide to prayer for those who hunger for God. You can find them uh, if you just Google guides to prayer, Reuben Job. And it's a compilation. It's a year-long devotional, but it's a compilation of readings and reflections, hymns, scripture passages, prayers uh, that take you into the deeper life of spiritual formation. But he write, He also compiled this thing called the Guide to Spiritual Discernment, which is no longer in print, mm. but I've resurrected all that Reuben contributed to that and placed it, there's a 50, it's a 50-page 50 appendix in the back of my book, 
and I, I just want to preserve his good work because he he is one of my mentors. He's one of my uh, beloved spiritual leaders, mm. and I wanted to preserve his work with my work um, as I'm writing this book, and then preserving his reflection exercises for people to take on a 40 day adventure with the people that are around them. Yeah, and I'm convinced that once you once you are sitting in the Word and absorbing what others are saying about discernment, this actually becomes a part of your vocabulary and then becomes a part of your life. Mm. And again, I've seen it over and over and over again, most significantly in our ministry, Leadership Transformations. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm going to check that out and uh, let everyone know, Steve, uh, where they can connect with you and and get more of your resources. I know you have a lot more books we didn't talk about, but um, where can people find you? The easiest place, Tim, and I resisted this for so many years, but I finally said yes. It's stevemachia.com. I actually have my own website um, that my team members said, it's time. <laughs> and with the coming out of the Discerning Life book uh, by Zondervan Reflective, it was time to actually put that together. That has all of my books on there, how to connect with me, how to connect with Leadership Transformations and our ministry. Uh, so Steve Machia, M-A-C-C-H-I-A, stevemachia.com is my website. And that's the easiest way to get in touch. And the book is The Discerning Life. And the subtitle is An Invitation to Notice God in Everything. Mm. And it's um, Zondervan Reflective is my publisher. And I'm delighted to offer this material to your friends and to your listeners as well. If I can Very be cool. of any assistance along the way. Uh, just go to that website, send me an, an email. I'd be happy to help, more than happy to help. Well, you're so gracious to come on when I emailed you. So I would encourage everyone to reach out to you. Check out the show notes, everybody. I'll put the links in there. Uh, get the discerning life. And uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Tim. God bless you, brother. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great talking to you. As we learn more about discernment and making decisions that honor God, I would encourage you to check out his resources, as well as my book, Everyday Discernment and Eyes on Jesus, if you're looking for a devotional. Also, don't forget, I have a new Bible plan on the YouVersion Bible app called Focus on the Fundamentals. It's a 10-day plan. You can go through it right now. Just search for Focus on the Fundamentals. Next week, I'm excited to talk to Sathya Sam. He has a program designed to help people break free from the stronghold of lust and porn. He himself has an amazing testimony that he will share with us next week. So until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time, keep fighting the good fight.